Today on Feeding My Faith, a pity party for two. Kick the doors open, let the party begin. Welcome to Feeding My Faith. I'm your host, Dave Jackson, from the school of podcasting.com. And this is not your typical episode because what this is, is I presented a sermon at my church last week called, as you heard at the beginning, A Pity Party for Two. And here it is. Before I say anything, I have to do a shout out if you're not familiar with these. I have to give a shout out to Dr. Brad Miller, who's a member of the School of Podcasting, who's joining me online. And I just need to say to Brad, don't ever call me Davey. These people, these people can call me Davey, not you. Uh, This is not going to be your typical Father's Day kind of sermon. We're going to start off. I have a little presentation that's going to introduce what we're talking about. So I'm going to play my, I'm going to put my phone up to this. Hello, Talmadge Community Church. This is Dave. And today we will be reading from many scriptures, but I think my favorite is in Philippians 4. It's amazing. Do you know what else is amazing? This isn't really Dave. And today we are going to talk about lies and victims. I know not your typical Father's Day sermon, but I hope you find it interesting. Yeah, that's not me. That's a computer. That should be fun around election time, don't you think? And aside from the Father's Day at the end, it was pretty close. I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. And so I called this sermon Pity Party for Two because I could definitely have a pity party, right? I could say, well, you know, my dad was a long-distance truck driver. He wasn't home during the week. And my grandfather on my mom's side died when I was two. So I'm testosterone challenged, right? I kind of lost all on that, put my bottom lip, but we get a big old pity party. Well, anytime you have a pity party, Satan's going to be like, oh, I love pity parties. Let's have one. And I can sit there. I remember once it was some sort of church picnic and I'm looking out and everybody's like doing the three-legged race with their dad. And I'm like, for whatever reason, my dad wasn't there. And so Satan would say things like, wow, that's weird. Everybody else's dad is here, but not yours. Like, what's up with that? Like, uh, you must have done something really wrong that your dad isn't here all the time. What's wrong with you? And then he'd throw in something like, hey, that dad, is that the guy that didn't call you on your birthday. This is decades before, before cell phones. You know, just all sorts of things to find your weaknesses and then turn that dial. And that's just what he does. What was fun is you, sometimes we start to think we have a dark cloud over our head. My brother, God bless him, he gave us this a nickname. He called it Davy Luck. Another person, only my brother can call me Davy. And things like, My very first bike that wasn't a hand-me-down. When you're the youngest, like everything's a hand-me-down. I actually got a bike that was mine. And so I think I had it maybe a week and a half and I jumped off a curb and the whole, like, it just broke. I basically totaled my bike. And my brother was like, oh, there you go, Davy Luck. And then later when I had a moped, my dad, he could handle 18 wheels, but couldn't handle two, wrecked it, Davy Luck. When I got my first car, in the snow, I turned into a curb and it bent the tire. Okay, that's Davy Luck. Later, I blew the engine, Davy Luck, et cetera, et cetera. To the point you kind of go, is there a dark cloud over my head here? Like, what's the deal? And when we have that perception, we start looking for Davy Luck. Or we start thinking, oh, well, this is, of course, this is going to happen to me. And the problem is 
Satan is the, the father of lies. And if you believe a lie to be true, you will change your life based on a lie. And that stops you from doing things, from saying things, from going places maybe. And the more you believe the lie, the easier it is to believe. Any t- anybody ever do anything wrong? And anything, anybody do anything wrong more than once or three times or four, right? The fourth time doing something wrong is a lot easier than the first time because we're getting really good at it, right? So you end up believing a lie. Again, John 8, 44, he is the father of lies. I'll give you an example. When I had stepkids, I remember once I walked in, and I'm like, what's everybody up to? And they're like, oh, we're doing homework. And I'm like, great. And they're like, no, it's not great. We're doing math. We don't have the math gene. And I'm like, math gene? There's no math gene. No, no, mom told us we can't do math. And consequently, they couldn't do math. And I'm like, hey, guess what? My first degree was in engineering. I love math. I think it's like a weird puzzle. And I started helping them with their math. Well, by the time they got out of high school, they were getting great grades in math because they didn't believe the lie anymore. So these are just the little things. Anytime you're like, oh, I could never, I could never lose weight. I'm still trying, but I haven't given up. I could never do this. I, I could never be like this person. And there are some things we're going to read today that I go, ah, I don't think I could do that. But the Bible says all things are possible through Christ. And maybe we're labeled, right? Anybody get a, a nickname growing up? Maybe we were Bobby Poopy Pants, right? I don't know. <laughs> something, right? And that sticks. Those kind of things stick in your brain, right? First Corinthians, this is like Paul's greatest hits today. He says, but with me, uh, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. A very polite way of Paul saying, I just don't care what other people think. Uh, this one got me through probably fourth grade through sixth grade. Uh, Romans one twenty two, claiming to be wise, they became fools. So anytime somebody said anything that made me feel sad or bad or whatever, I just, in my head, I'd go, all right, claiming to be wise, they become fools. They're just fools. They're claiming to be wise. They become fools. Now, here's the fun one. At uh, Dartmouth College, a psychologist named Dr. Robert Clark, he asked these like professional makeup artists come in and they brought in a group of women and they said, we're, uh, we're going to put a scar on your face. And then we want you to go out and talk to these strangers and just see if there's any difference. And so these makeup artists, you know, they put the makeup on and like, okay, this is great. And they kind of get ready to give them their final instructions. And then they're like, hold on, before you leave, I want to do a little bit of touch up on the, on the scar. They're like, okay. So they go over. All right, great. Okay. Off you go. And the next one. All right, let's fix this just to, all right. And off you go. And the next one. The women went out and they're like, you know what? I swear people were staring at it. And I felt like, I don't know, it was a little awkward and I don't know, a little, it, was just, it was just so different having this scar. There was only one problem. That little touch-up that they did before they went outside, they took the scar off. There was no scar. And so many times we go through life thinking we have a scar on our face and we don't. And we're looking for this. Oh, of course they did. Of course, it's because it's me, right? We can throw, look at me, I'm a middle-aged white guy. Wah, right? We, want, we have that pity party. We can always find a reason, right? But if you think about it, if you go through life thinking you have a scar, that's going to affect your attitude. And Paul, if there was like a Paul's greatest hits, like Philippians 4 would be like track one. He says, 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Everybody say always. Always. In fact, he knew that that was a tough pill to swallow because he said, oh, I'll say it again. Rejoice. And so that's a much better attitude to, uh, to go with. And what's interesting about this is when I was doing my research, there's this thing called victim mentality, right? We all just want to put out that bottom lip, right? And what's interesting about it is there are things that in some cases we don't accept responsibility. Like, it's not my fault. Like, I don't know why this happened. I guess the world's just out to get me. We don't consider other people's opinions because really on the underlying theme of victim mentality is narcissism. Right, So we don't really consider other people's opinions because, well, mine's the only one that counts. And uh, we don't accept, uh, you know, that maybe we should be trying something different because, you know, life's just against me. And so I thought about this. Who's the biggest narcissist you know? Satan. Think about it. That's a giant narcissist. And he's the guy that's filling these people's heads with, well, they don't, they don't appreciate you. They, you don't need them. You can do this on your own. And I just saw that when I was reading into that. I'm like, narcissism, who's the biggest narcissist? But it's easier said than done, right? Because there are times when life just throws you another hurdle and another hurdle. And you're like, I'd love to rejoice. Oh, oh I don't know. <laughs> well, here's an example. Elijah, the prophet Elijah had a day that was not really great. But check this out. He'd been victorious. He had a showdown with 450 prophets. Now, this room, when it's full, holds about 100 people. So multiply this by four and a half. That's how many people Elijah's like, all right, and there's one, and two, and another one's gone, and another one's gone, right? It's, he's just going through 450 prophets. Then, during that, God sent down fire, right? And he's like, oh, this is so cool. All right, here's another one for me. Then, meanwhile, all during this time, uh, King Ahab is trying to kill him. That's got to be just a way to, you know, in terms of like waking up like, oh, got to try not to get killed today. That's got to be kind of depressing. But nonetheless, he had predicted a terrible famine and the Lord had not sent rain for three years. Score one for Elijah, right? And then he said, oh, you know what? He prayed for rain, produced a torrential downpour. All right, there you go. Elijah's just on a roll. And he's got to be thinking, this is great. Because God was working, it was God that was doing all that, through his servant. And then, of course, if you want the job done right, well, you get a woman involved, right? Isn't that how that works? So King Ahab's uh, queen, Jezebel, she's like, all right, look, this guy's still alive. He's on our nerves. I'm going to get him, right? Well, I'll, let, let me take care of this. So here's Elijah. He's like, man, I am just on a roll, loving God. And then for some reason, when somebody comes in and goes, hey, uh, Isaiah, I don't know if you heard this or not, but uh, Jezebel sent out some people to, she's trying to kill you now. And he just loses it. In 1 Kings 19, he says, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life. He's like, get me off the planet. I'm done with this stuff, right? But this is the part I was like, oh, and here comes Satan, for I'm no better than my fathers. You ever hear the phrase, comparison is the thief of joy? The minute you start comparing yourself to others, it's usually not a good thing. You don't look at somebody and go, oh, I'm so much better than they are. It's usually like, oh, why don't I have what they have? But I love the fact that here he is, he's had such a, he's just seen God in so many ways. And yet he's like, it's enough. I want to die. Now at that point, he ends up in a cave and some angels come and, and give him some fruit. He gets a nap. 
and you think like he would be better, but basically God could see that like, man, my buddy Elijah's having a bad day. I need to go down and help his heart because he's got a problem. So they, they tell him, they say, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. So he does what he's supposed to do. And behold, the, the, the Lord passes by, but first a, a great and strong wind. So we've seen those. It tore the mountains and it broke uh, into pieces, rocks. So that's a pretty major windstorm, I would think. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. You're like, oh, really? Wow, that sounded like pretty majestic. No, no, there's an earthquake. If you've ever been in one, they're scary. Uh, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And then they send this big ball of fire. And you're like, oh, well, that's, that's God's gem. I've, I've heard about that in Genesis. That's his thing, right? The fire book. No, no, no God in the fire this time. You're like, really? All right. So it turns out after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. That's where God was. Now, why did God whisper? Think about it. When you whisper to someone, they have to get close to hear you. And he didn't just want him there. He wanted him right here. That's why God whispered. And then Elijah did exactly what we're supposed to do. He just let it out. He just said, here, God, take this. This is on my heart. It's driving me nuts. He says, look, I've been very jealous of the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They killed your prophets with the sword. And even I, look, I'm the only one left and they're still trying to kill me. That's what we're supposed to do. Don't carry that stuff around. Give it to God. That's what he wants. And so Elijah can have a bad day. So if you're like, look, because what's going to happen? right? You're going to go like, oh man, this whole rejoice in the Lord always stands hard. Sure is. Why are you still trying? What would, you know, wait, I thought God was going to be, make your life like grace, like a vending machine. You just pull on the handle and God makes your life great, right? That's what Satan's going to say. Forget that rejoice in the Lord stuff. Just, just, nah, come with me. I'll show you what it is, right? So Elijah shows that, yeah, we can be human. We're not always going to be perfect. And then there's Paul. And when I read this, that little lie in my head goes, I could never do that. All things are possible through God. So check this out. Paul is in uh, Philippi. He's uh, just, just picture going to uh, lock three in downtown Akron, right? They arrest you, they strip you naked, and they beat the snot out of you. Can we just pause on that thought for a minute? You're naked in downtown Akron getting the snot beat out of you. Okay. Then they throw you in jail. But here's the, the thing that just blows me away. Paul says, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, did he complain and say, you're not going to believe it. I just got the snot beat out of me naked in the street. I've got dirt in my wounds and I'm probably going to get infection. No, no. He says, brethren, that my circumstances would turn out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian guard and to everyone else. He's like, hey, this jail thing is really working out. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Because the, the Praetorian guards, they're like 9,000 elite soldiers. So number one, Paul's kind of like, hey, this is cool. I must be like a big deal because they sent the Praetorian soldiers to guard him. There are about 9,000 of them. And they switch shift 
every six hours. So he was basically 18 inches. He's got his little cuff on with a chain and he's chained to a guard. And he's like, this is awesome because in a 24 hour period, I'll get to talk to six different people because he realizes I have a captive audience. These guys can't escape and I can talk to every single guard and plant seeds. And those people, they're the elite guards. They're going to start telling all the other elite people. And I was like, that's just amazing. Because I'm thinking if I'm in jail, dirty and naked and beat up, I'm not going to be going, this is awesome. The plan's working. But that's what Paul did. And I was just like, man, that is amazing. Now, in the world of science, yes, we're going to talk about science and church. Check this out. There is a book called How God Changes Our Brain, Breakthrough Findings from a Leading Neuroscience. That's the name of the book. And when I heard this, I was like, of course it does. Uh, There are two authors. One is Andrew Newberg, who is in the I'm not sure category of does God exist? The other author, Mark Robert Waldman, is in the no way God exists. So those are the authors of this. And so they went in and they studied and they said, when we intently and consistently, so intently and consistently focused on our spiritual values, better known as prayer, well, here's the brain. In the back, you've got your something, adigulum something, something very brainy. Anybody know it? No, I think that's a a song by a a band in the 60s. That's Inagata DeVita. Um, I didn't write it down, but amygdala. There we go. It's the amygdala in the back. It's the the flight or fight reaction. That's in the back of the brain. Your logic is up here in the frontal lobes. So it says, when we consistently focus on our spiritual values, we increase the blood flow to the frontal lobes. And... Basically, it reduces the size of the amygdala in the back, which then lets us, A, not freak out so much, and B, maybe think a little logic into and make better decisions. So, but the key to that, they say, is it's intently and consistently. So, when I read that, I was like, that is really, really cool. And I was reading a book, and it was talking about the fact that Satan is always trying to trick us. He's always trying to weave in his lies into our lives so that we live them like they're true. And so in the Bible, of course, there's that spot where Jesus gets tempted. Well, of course, first things first, he hasn't eaten in a while. And uh, so there's probably a good week time to to catch him. And Satan, of course, goes, how am I going to trick him? Hmm, let's see here. So what does he do? He quotes him scripture. He thinks that's going to get him. I'm going to show him, you know, get him with his own words kind of and says basically, you know, hey, if you jump off here, you know, the angels will come and swoop down and get you. He's like, and you'll be safe. So what does Jesus do? He quotes scripture right back to him. And that's what we're supposed to do. uh, Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to test. So we've got handouts. Chris, you want to hand these out? Pretty please. What these are, if you go to uh, the internets, it's a list of uh, Christian affirmations, which when I hear affirmations, they're kind of, sometimes they sound a little woo-woo, right? But again, it kind of reprograms your brain. So things, and these aren't exact quotes in some cases, they're somewhat paraphrased, 
So, for instance, Philippians 4.10, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Philippians 4, again, Philippians 4 is just like this awesome book. Um, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. God is my rock and salvation. I am strong in the Lord and his mighty power. God has plans for me to prosper and uh, have hope for the future. That one right there, Jeremiah 29, 11, giant poster in my living room. And anytime the world steers way left and I'm like, oh, come on. I look up and I say, wait a minute, God has a plan for me to prosper and to have um, hope for a future. Um, in times of mourning, the Lord shall give me comfort. The peace of God rules in my heart. I will not be afraid. My strength is found in the Lord. Uh, God will never fail me or forsake me. I'm not in this alone. I mean, he goes on and on. Now, you're like, Dave, do I have to memorize all of these? No. What I want you to do, if you have one here that resonates with you, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's my jam right there, then, I don't know, pick up your phone and use the voice recorder in it so the next time you feel yourself getting panicked or, oh, just hit that and hit play. Write it on a piece of paper, put it in your wallet, put it in your purse, put it somewhere, write it on a sticky note, put it on the bathroom mirror, something so that every day you can basically say that out loud. It's not enough to just see it. Every morning, wake up and say, hey, uh, I'm a new person in Christ. The past won't be held against me. That sounds like a cool way to start the day right there. God can do more than I ask or think. You know, it doesn't have to be long. John three sixteen. God loves me. These are things we need to remember because Satan's going to come along and, you know, you decide to have a pity party, right? You made yourself like, all right, well, instead of having a pity party and going, oh, I didn't get and, and for the record, let's, let's be, uh, let's, let's throw, let's get our common sense in check. There are victims, right? There are absolute victims. I'm not talking about, oh, my Porsche has a, you know, tear in the heated seat. That's okay. That's, there are victims and then there are, you know, let's, let's not go crazy with that. Um, and there are actual panic attacks. So when I talk about, you know, flight or flight, there are, let's use a little common sense here, shall we? So find one of these and just make it part, make it your battle cry. Make it something that, that you can draw on like instincts. Anytime something starts to tear you away from God, because that's what Satan wants you to do. So find one of these and make it part of yours. Now, the other thing we need to realize, as we said, from time to time, we believe things that we thought were true, but maybe they weren't. Maybe I've been tricked all this time. And so I was thinking about this last night. I am going to bring it back to Father's Day. So we're, we're finally, oh, okay. So I was thinking when I was 14, number one, I'm a teenager. So of course I know everything, but I, I was, I was trying to figure out how do you say this politely? I was not convinced of my father's intelligence, right? He just didn't get it. What's up with that guy? He just doesn't get it. By the time I got to my twenties, well, now suddenly I had a newfound respect because I was earning money. I had bills to pay and things like that. By the time I got to my thirties, I had a whole new view of his sacrifices because I was like, here's a guy, number one, he drove to Gary, Indiana for probably four years. Like that's all he did. So it was the same. I remember once he said, I finally picked a different route. It's not quite as fast, but I had to have something besides route, whatever. He was just bored doing that. And the fact that when you're a long distance truck driver, you're making money that you never get to spend. 
because you're, you're not home spending it. In fact, when he got home, he would typically, Friday night, he would just sleep. Saturday, he would break whatever we broke while he was gone. And then Sunday, he'd go to church. We'd have a Sunday dinner. And then by Sunday night, he was gone. And I was like, that's, I'm like, that is not a really, like somebody, oh, sign me up for that. I want to spend all, and I went on a couple of trips with him. Truck driving is A, really boring. B, putting up with a lot of people that forget you have like tons of stuff on the back of your truck. And uh, he had, I remember he had a seat that had a shock absorber on it, which wasn't too, mine was bolted to the floor. That was, no, no, thank you. So I say that because when I look back now with the span of time behind me, there may be lies in your life, or basically there may be things that you thought when you were younger that, again, were based on a lie. I thought because they looked weird that both uh, Brussels sprouts and asparagus, just from the look of them, I was like, oh, I don't eat those. Like, no way. And then I forget where I was at and I had both. And I was like, wow, these like these taste a little bit like broccoli, but not really, but kind of. And I was like, I love Brussels sprouts now. So there may be something that you thought when you were little, whatever it was, maybe you need to go back and revisit that because Satan wants you to hold on to that pain. He wants you to hold on to that insecurity, whatever it is. So you might want to go back and and look at that. A couple things about my dad here. One is how how God works for you sometimes. He makes the, the hard decisions. And the last time I saw my dad was actually really interesting because he didn't know who I was. He thought it was my brother. And so we're talking to him. And when you have dementia, visits are kind of bizarre because it was the same visit every time. Like I would go there and he's like, you want to go on a tour? And I'm like, has it changed since the last time I was here? You know, and we would do the tour and he would always, he had a picture, one of those pictures that had multiple pictures in it kind of thing. And he would be like, and that's my sister, Pete. And I'd be like, yeah, it's my aunt. She's kind of been my aunt my whole life, you know, but he would go through the whole thing. And so now it's me and my sister, Kathy, and I'm sitting next to my dad and he's, he's throwing out names that aren't in my family. Like he's talking about my wife, Karen. And I'm like, I don't have a wife, Karen. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. He thinks I'm Doug and he's thinking of Carrie. And so we kind of figure out what's going on. And then uh, he looks at me thinking I'm Doug and says, how about that, Dave? And I looked at my sister and I just went, shut up. Like, let's let him roll with this. And he just gushed. Like, I'm so proud of that kid, and he's done this and that and blah, blah, blah. And in my head, I'm like, where has this been the last 40 years, right? Just going on and on and on. And it was interesting. And when we left, about, I think it was the next week, Doug called and said, hey, dad took like major bad turn. If you want to see dad, you better see him now. And I was like, huh. I said, am I a bad son if I don't? go see him. And he's like, well, no. And I'm like, you don't understand. I said, I had the best, the best time with dad. It was so cool. And I said, but that seems weird. I'm going to probably look back at this and go, oh, you I had one more chance to see him and I didn't. I'm like, can I live with that? I don't know. And I really wrestled with that. And I said, you know what? Uh, Cause he was about an hour and 10 minutes from me. And I was like, you know what? You only got one last chance. I'm, 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 I'm waking up in the morning and I'm going. And I woke up in the morning and my brother called me and said, he's gone. 
And I said, thank you, God, you took that decision out of my hands. So I now left with this really great memory. So God wants you, sometimes God will make those decisions for you. But one of my favorites, and I think I've told you this one before, we, we had this time and it ties in with this, this sermon, so we'll bring it back. I was finally this tall and we were at Geauga Lake, which doesn't exist anymore, which is kind of sad, but we were going to get on. I was finally this tall and we were going to go on the Big Dipper. And back then the Big Dipper was like the Big Dipper, right? This rickety old wooden thing. And uh, my dad and I get on it. And I can't remember if my other family members did or not, but I just remember it was me and my dad. And you know the drill. You sit down, you pull, this is when you pulled the bar. There was no shoulder strap, just a bar over your knees. And then the guys walk by and they just kind of do one of these and they check the bar and they check the bar and they check the bar and they got to mine and they checked the bar and it pulled right up. And I'm like, hey, um, guys. And then it started moving and I'll be like, guys, it's, hey, like, shouldn't, huh? Okay. And I'm like hearing those things go. And I'm like, wow, I'm going to die. And I'm like, dad, the thing isn't the thing. And off we went over the hill. And I went from looking at the back of someone's head to the top of their head. I was clean out of, I mean, the bar just came up and I've got, I'm white knuckling it. And I'm like looking over the people that are sitting in front of me. And as you might imagine, I let out a scream. And the only thing I can hear over my scream is the sound of my dad laughing hysterically. I don't know why he thinks this is funny. And I'm not sure why he's not flying out of his seat, but he's not. And he just reached up and grabbed my shirt and pulled me down. And then we went over another hill. He would laugh. I would scream and he would pull me down. And then I would laugh. This went on multiple times. And so I say this to remind you that there are times when... Life is going to throw you out of your seat and you're going to want to scream. But Paul again says in Philippians, you know, if God is near, we don't want to forget that God is near. We need to forget that Satan's right there waiting for us to have a pity party. God is near. Turn to him then. Um, keep him in your heart. Profess those. I'm here to tell you, profess those words. Pick one every day. Review that. Profess your truths, and that way, with God in your heart, when Satan tries to hand you a handful of lies, it's just not going to work. And then your life truly will be better. This podcast is part of the Power of Podcasting Network. Find it at powerofpodcasting.com. Changing the world, one download at a time.